All right, and speaking of our online audience, we always want to find a way to include them and make sure we are being reminded of the fact that we are one church meeting at two different times and in two different ways each time, online and in person. We've got two folks doing, two families doing uh, two different readings this morning. So turn your attention to the screen. Good morning, True Life family. We miss being there in person, but you are in our prayers. Today we pray for continued health and diligence during this trying time. And we wish you all a happy and joyous Christmas. Now a reading from Philippians 4.11 through 4.13. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can, I can do, do everything, everything through him who, who gives, gives me strength. Amen. Philippians three twelve through 14 Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God is calling me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. That was Jack and Judy Timmerman. And then Shay Oakley, thank you, you guys, for doing those readings. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Philippians chapter 4, where we will start off. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces pulled off what is considered one of the greatest, one of the most strategic, one of, one of the most orchestrated military victories in all of history. It was the invasion of the beaches of Normandy, France, so that the Allied forces could get a foothold into Western Europe and start their advance across to eventually beat the Nazis. It was also known as Operation Overlord. And when it was secured, that's the wrong slide, by the way, you guys. <laughs> there it is. When it was secured, when D-Day was won, it was celebrated across the world. There is one newspaper clipping. Allies invade France. Huge army sets up beachhead in Normandy. In order to get that, or in order to eventually win the war, they needed to get this beachhead. They needed to get this foothold into Western Europe. And so for them to, to have this victory, it was huge. It was worth celebrating. It was worth praising God for. And yet, the war wasn't over. It would be almost a full year until the war was officially over, which was known as VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. That was on May 8, 1945. In between D-Day and VE Day, there were multiple other battles, each of which was uh, somewhat unpredictable in its own right. There were more casualties. There were more families who would suffer losses. And so there was this tension in between D-Day and VE Day. The tension of having won this, this, this foothold into Western Europe, without which the war could not have been won. But because of that victory, they knew eventually we're going to take down those Nazis, but it's going to be a while before we actually secure VE Day, that victory in Europe Day. 
There was this tension in between. And likewise, followers of Jesus live in almost a similar tension between uh, uh, the first coming of Jesus, the first advent. Advent means the arrival. It means the coming where Jesus came. And he, and he secured our victory at Calvary through his life, his death, his resurrection. He purchased new resurrection life. And he poured his spirit out on his followers. And he gave them authority and power. And yet, we also live in the time before his second coming, his second advent, when he will usher in the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of what he purchased on Calvary. So we celebrate that it is fully paid for, and yet we still long for the day when it will be fully experienced. So there's this tension of embracing the power, the authority, the blessings that come because of his first advent, while also this longing, this aching, this even grieving for the fact that we still live in this broken world, and we need our king to return to usher in his kingdom in its fullness. Now, church folks, we tend to lean on one extreme or the other. We tend to have a hard time embracing both at the same time. Some of us only want to embrace the power and the authority piece. We're overcomers. We're victorious. But they shy away from and may even be a little bit naive about some of the suffering and sacrifice that we're called to make in this world. We might even say things like, well, God just wants me to be happy. He wouldn't ask me to sacrifice my savings account for something like that. He wouldn't ask me to take a risk and risk my family and risk my safety for, for, for his kingdom. He wouldn't want me to do that. He wouldn't want me to stay in this situation and not be happy. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to have desires of my heart. We take scriptures out of context. We don't believe in and we shy away from the call to suffer for Christ's sake. On the other extreme are those who only embrace the, the suffering, only embrace the pain. And they sort of just passively wait for Jesus to return, walk around with the Eeyore syndrome. You know the Eeyore syndrome? This life stinks. I just need Jesus to return. Good gee golly. And they don't embrace the power and the authority that Jesus has given us as followers. Like the allied forces, once they got on the beaches, they weren't to sit down and go, well, we did it. Let's sit around and drink and be merry. No, they had to keep advancing. They had to keep going. They were given power and authority to keep advancing across Western Europe. And similarly, you, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we've been given this power and authority to, to keep going, to keep advancing God's kingdom until Christ comes again, while being called to suffer and sacrifice for that kingdom. And so uh, over these next three weeks, and we were supposed to start it last week, but we're going to we're going to take it to December 27th. These next three weeks, we're going to look at three ways that we are called to embrace this tension. Here they are. Number one, which is today, we're called to embrace worldly contentment as well as a holy discontentment. Number two, next week, we're called to embrace the promise of healing miracles as well as the promise of persecution. We're promised both. And number three, we're called to embrace a new power, over old sin for a new year. It's going to be a New Year's message. That was actually supposed to be last week's message, and it's going to be a New Year's thing on December 27th. So we're going to start today with worldly contentment and holy discontentment. Worldly contentment and holy discontentment. If you and I are honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I am far too easily bothered 
by everyday unmet expectations and far too easily content with the type of things that should bother me because it bothers God. I'm far too easily bothered with everyday unmet expectations and I'm far too easily content, passive even, about the things that break God's heart. And so the Apostle Paul, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and then chapter 3, where he gives us two glimpses into what it means to be followers of Jesus. On one hand, it means that we are given the strength to be content in every circumstance. And on the other hand, it means that we are filled with a holy angst, a holy burden for the things that break God's heart. So we're going to start with the, with, the, with the contentment, the call to be content. Um, before we get into that passage, I want to show you a clip from one of my favorite movies of all time. Not just one of my favorite Christmas movies, but one of my favorite movies of, of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody ever see that movie? If you haven't seen that movie, I know some of you youngsters would probably think it's too old for you. you got to watch it. One of my favorite movies of all time. So in this scene that we're about to, to, to see, um, George Bailey, he's the main character. He has just found out. He runs a bank with his uncle, his uncle Billy, and he just found out that Uncle Billy lost all this money. And, and, and they could be in trouble, and he could go to jail. And he comes home after finding this out, and he's in a bad mood. And he starts everything around him just bothering him. And I'm going to ask you, after we see this clip, have you had one of these days recently? Have you had one of these weeks recently? Or months? Or maybe you're just in a year where this is you. Everything bothers you. Take a look at this clip. And did you put the envelope in your pocket? Yeah. Right. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe. I don't want any. Maybe. We've got to find that money. I'm no good to you. Uncle Billy, look. I, I, do you realize what's going to happen if we don't find it? Listen to me. Do you have any secret hiding place here in the house? Someplace you would, someplace you'd hide the money. I've come over the whole house, even in rooms that have been locked since I lost Laura. Listen, listen to me. Think, think. I can't think, think. anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? You realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Hello, darling. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. How do you like it? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Did you bring the wreath? Yes, Daddy. Did you bring the Christmas wreath? What wreath? Was it the Merry Christmas wreath? Was it for the window? No, I was left at the office. Is it snowing? Yeah, it just started. Well, where's your coat and hat? I left them at the office. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. Everything's all right. Stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I, I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. Scoot me! me! Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. 
Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burped. All right, tell me your excuse. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What is it, sore throat or what? Just a cold. The doctor says it's not. The doctor? Serious. Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. Said there's nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a TC one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn up the place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, George. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell frankincense? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Where are you going? Going up to see Zeus. You told me to ride a plea for tomorrow. George Bailey, I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. Hey, you. I'll knock you up. What is it? Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George. Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello. What? Oh, you will, huh? Okay, Mr. Welch. Anytime you think you're man enough, you... Hello. Any... Uh... How should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. That recently, anybody? Weak? Feel like that? Huh? Raise your hand. Maybe you live with somebody who had one of those moods recently? You don't have to raise your hand for that one. We're going to see what happens to George Bailey later. Uh, but that's, that's definitely the epitome of discontent with everything going on around us. That's a discontent with the circumstances around us. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Jack and Judy read it earlier, we're going to work through it. He's writing from prison. He's got good reason to be discontent. 
And he writes to the Philippians and he says, I am not saying this because I'm in need. And he's referring to a gift that they had sent him. And he thanks them for that gift. And he says, hey, I'm not saying this because I was in need. I didn't actually need the gift. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this to him who gives me strength. So I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content. That word content has the idea of being okay on the inside, at peace on the inside, at rest on the inside, when things around us are not okay, when things around us are not at peace, and when things are not around us are, are, are not at rest. They're a little bit chaotic. He says, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstance. What it is when, when I'm in need and, and, and when I have plenty. And he, he had been in need and he had been in plenty. He, he, he had times when things were going really well and then again he's in prison. And that was multiple times. There were times when he was in safety and then he was on the verge of death. He had been stoned. He gets shipwrecked. He was surrounded by friends and then at other times he's surrounded by enemies. Sometimes those enemies were former friends who betrayed him. There were times when even the churches that he planted were misunderstanding him and falsely accusing him. And he's saying, I have learned to be content through it all. Wouldn't we want to grow in our contentment? Does anybody here want to grow in your ability to be content no matter the circumstances? I sure do. I sure do. I don't want to be like George Bailey coming home, nitpicking everything, seeing what's wrong with everything, blaming everybody else. I want to learn to be content with more things. I thought of a few areas where I want to be more content. I have trouble being content when my wife is in a bad mood and I can't seem to fix it. I'll be straight with you. I have trouble being content in those moments. I have trouble being content when something needs to be resolved in the church and I don't know what the next step is and it's a little confusing. And I'm praying and going, God, what's the next step here? And, and it seems vague and ambiguous and, and confusing. And I don't like that. I want a tangible next step. It's hard for me to be content in those moments. I have trouble being content when I'm overcharged on a utility bill or a phone bill or a car repair bill. Oh, that gets me. That gets me. I need to make one of those phone calls like George Bailey did to Mr. Welch. I have trouble being content when I'm misunderstood or falsely accused of things. I feel like I need to defend my case, state the case. I want to learn to be more content. Now, learned to be content is the idea. The Greek word, that word for learned is the only time it's used in all of Scripture is right here. It's the idea of being initiated into something, initiated into something mysterious. So it doesn't, it's not referring to something you learn in a classroom. It's not referring to something you uh, just are born with. You, you don't take, a, you know, a class 12 steps to be content. It's being initiated into this thing called contentment, Paul says. I have been initiated into this mysterious thing called contentment. How? How did he get initiated into this? He says it in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He's referring to Jesus. It's because of my relationship with Jesus where I have access to his Holy Spirit that I have been initiated into this thing called contentment. 
His spirit has initiated me into this mysterious thing called contentment where I can be at rest, be at peace, even when things around me are not at rest and not at peace. Now, the truth is, this verse, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is often used out of context. We say things like, I'm going to get that promotion at my job because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We definitely use it out of context when it refers to sports things, right? High school sports loves to use this, right? Christian schools, oh, we're going to win that football game because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to get an A on that test because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul, in context, is really saying the opposite. I can be okay and content when I don't get that promotion because of him who gives me strength. I, I can be okay even if our football team doesn't win that game because of him who gives me strength. I can be okay if I fail that test and that exam because of him who gives me strength in every, in every circumstance. I can be okay and at peace even if I'm not getting the respect at home that I think I deserve because of him who gives me strength. Because of him who fills me, the Holy Spirit. Now, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, then we don't have the Holy Spirit, and then we, we don't get this gift called contentment growing in us. Not, not the kind that Paul's talking about. We don't get it. But if we have access to the Holy Spirit because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we can expect him to continuously grow us in our ability to be content. The problem is too many of us, even us Christians who have the Holy Spirit, we don't believe he can give us the strength to be content. We give in to the lie that we can't take it anymore. I can't take living in New Jersey. I can't take it at this job. I can't take it in this family. I can't take it in this marriage. I can't take it in this whatever. I can't take it, all these face mask rules. I can't take it. I can't take it. And we blame all these things for our discontentment. Instead of believing that, wait a second, the Holy Spirit's real, he's powerful, he's in me, and he can strengthen me to be more content in every circumstance. Instead of being like George Bailey, nitpicking everything. We can grow. We can grow out of that. Now that doesn't mean, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Chris, is that, are you saying don't pray for things to change? Are you saying don't try to make things change? That if I'm not happy at my job, I shouldn't try to get another job? No, I'm not saying that. Try to get a new job. Apply somewhere else. Pray for breakthrough. We're praying for all these things. We're praying for lots of things. I was praying this week for some of you guys. The list just kept growing. Lots of things to pray for. But while we're waiting on an answer to prayer, while we're waiting for God to show us what our next step is, while we're waiting for God to reveal a, a clarity on a decision, in the meantime, we can expect and believe that the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen us in our contentment in any and every circumstance. He can do it. Excuse me. Discontentment or a lack of contentment always is traced back to idolatry. It's always at the fundamental level is traced back to uh, us believing that something else is needed in my life. An, it, almost like a God. I need this in order to be happy and content. In other words, discontentment says God is not enough. I need another God. Contentment, however, says God is enough. 
even if I am in prison, like Paul was. God is enough. Even if this day didn't go according to plan. Now, I shared with you a few ways where I want to grow in my contentment. I want to I share with you some ways that I have grown. And, and this is not to brag on me. This is to brag on the Holy Spirit. He's, he's grown me. He's, he's, he's given me the strength to be content. A few things where I have grown. Um, I have learned to be content when I don't sleep well, which is often. Whereas before I would get frustrated and anxious about, oh, I'm not going to make it through the day tomorrow. Now I've learned to be content. And I spend time reading and praying, and it's, it's actually nice. I've learned to be content in those hours I'm up in the night. I've learned to be content when people leave the church for reasons that I don't think are legitimate. Whereas before, I felt like I needed to try to persuade them and show them that I think you're wrong here. Now I can let it go and say, I don't even need to state the case. I can be content. I have learned to be content when I don't get everything on my to-do list done each day. Whereas before, I would feel a little anxious at the end of the day. Feeling like, oh no, things are going to pile up throughout the week. No, no. It's okay. I can be content. Those are just a few things that popped in my mind this week. There's other areas to grow in, but God has grown me. And I want to encourage you, if there's an area of discontentment, if you found yourself recently in one of those George Bailey moods, what was it that you thought you needed? What was it that you thought you really needed? Maybe it was the approval of somebody. Which, listen, it's okay to want that. It's healthy to want that. But if you feel like you needed it in order to be content, there's a problem. That was you saying God's not enough. Is it a comfort that was taken away? Maybe a personal freedom that was taken away? That has caused you to be discontent? A, there's an, an idol there. You saying God's not enough. I need this. Confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, help me by the power of your spirit to be more content. He is willing and able to answer that prayer. Now the other side of the coin. Let's, let's turn a corner here. Because the the promise of contentment doesn't mean we're called to be passive. It doesn't mean we're called to not have desires, not have ambition, not express emotion, not express longing. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That takes us back to Philippians chapter 3, the other passage that was read earlier by Shay. We're going to look at that one, verses 12 to 14. Follow along with me if you have your Bibles. Paul says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So just in case somebody was wondering, does Paul think he's arrived? Does Paul think he's reached that point of spiritual maturity, of completion, where, where he can just coast now? Paul's like, no, no, no. I'm not coasting for the rest of my days. I'm pressing on. With, with, with whatever days I have left, I am pressing on. I am straining to keep going, to make every second count for Christ. There's more of Jesus to know. There's more of Jesus to be uh, transformed into. 
There's more people out there who need to know about Jesus, and I'm going to make every second count. I'm going to strain. He uses the metaphor of an Olympic race, straining towards the goal, towards the prize. One commentator put it like it's the picture of every nerve and tissue just being exerted as you're running, running for that prize. You're not slowing down. You're not jogging and looking at your feet. You're not looking back going, gee, golly, I've, I've ran all this. You know, you're, you're marveling at how far you've run to the point where you just sort of slow down. No, it's okay to look back and go, wow, thank you, God, by your grace, you've got me this far. But then you go, oh, but uh, there's more to go. There's more of Jesus to know. He, he says, look at it again. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's he saying there? He's not saying, I press on to earn salvation. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm pressing on to take hold of, to tackle down, grab all of what Christ Jesus got hold of me for. So in other words, Jesus came after me, Paul's saying. Jesus came after me, got a hold of my heart, opened my eyes to see him for who he is saved me, forgave me, ransomed me, cleansed me, washed me, and now I want to experience and grab hold of everything that he purchased for me. He's given me a million dollars. I want to spend it. I want to spend that now. I want to invest it. I want to use it up. I don't want to waste it. I want to make every second count. Where I work, I want to make it count for the cause of Christ. I don't just want to uh, make some money and, and get through the day, clock in, clock out. I want to make every second count. I want my coworkers to know that Jesus is in me. My marriage, I want to make it count every day. Just because we've been married 50 years doesn't mean we're going to coast now. Doesn't mean we're going to go, oh, well, this is just how it is. No, I want God to use my marriage, my spouse's issues, to grow me in my issues. I want him to use my spouse's lack of patience to grow me in my patience. Where I live in my neighborhood. I don't just want to complain about my neighbors, complain about the cold weather, complain how we're stuck in New Jersey. I want to make it count for Christ every second. I want to press on. Here's another sports picture. Imagine you're a college football coach of D1 school, Division I college football team, and you recruit a, a, brick, a, kid, a running back from Brick Memorial High School. And his grades aren't super up to par, but you fight to get him in, right? You fight to get him a scholarship. And you get him. You get him on your team. And he seems super grateful for it. And the first quarter of the first big game, he rushes for 80 yards. He scores two touchdowns. And you're like, wow, this kid, man, he is not wasting this recruitment. He's making the most of it. So glad. But the second quarter rolls around, and he starts to coast. He starts to jog. He's getting tackled easily. And you're like, what in the world's going on? You call a timeout. You call him over. You're like, hey, what's going on? You injured? He's like, no, coach. But I did really good in the first quarter. Give me some grace. Give, give, me, some, give me some tolerance here. You'd be like, wait, what? what? I gave you grace by getting you on this team. That was, that was the grace. Don't waste the grace. Don't waste it now. Run hard. Use it up. Do what you did the first quarter. Keep going. Don't start coasting. That's what Paul's saying here. Just because God has conformed me into his image to this degree doesn't mean I don't want to be conformed more and more and more and more and more. 
Some of us, we may not say that we think we have arrived spiritually. We won't say that. None of us would say that. We're too smart to say that. But there are ways that we uh, act like that. There are symptoms that show that that's where kind of our hearts are at. A few symptoms are we get defensive when we're criticized. We are slow to apologize. And when we do apologize, it's sort of like a, okay, I'm sorry, everybody makes mistakes, let's move on kind of deal. Instead of mourning over the sin that still lurks in our hearts and going, oh, I don't like that that's in there in me. I want to rip that out of me. Oh, I hate that. I want to get that out. We just go, ah, let's move on. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And if we got the Holy Spirit in us, he wants to conform us more and more. We should always be wanting to see more of Jesus' freedom that he purchased for us made tangible in our lives. That makes sense? There's more joy. There's more peace to be had. We should want that. We should st keep straining towards the goal. There's more people in our lives who don't know about Jesus. We should keep saying, I want to make it count. I want to press on. I want to press on. I want to keep going. In the last few months, God has been bothering me. He's been stirring in me this holy angst, this holy burden for, for things that I didn't have as big of a burden for prior. But he's been stirring in me, asking me to pray for a, a greater burden, and he's been answering that prayer by making my heart heavier for some of these things. I'm going to share with you some of those things. I have become more discontent with how much I love my kids. I love my kids, but I want to love them more. I want to love them more. I don't want to get annoyed at some of the annoying things about them. <laughs> I want to love them more. I, I want to be more compassionate towards my wife when she is in a bad mood instead of taking her behavior towards me when she takes it out on me personally. I want to have more compassion on that instead of getting frustrated with those moods. I want to, I have become more content with how much or I should say how little I sh explicitly share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him. I've become more discontent with how many people in the world go hungry, go to bed hungry every night. I have become more discontent with how many people, groups in the world, have no access to the good news that there is a Savior that came into the world for them. No access. I've become more discontent with how few healing miracles we are seeing in our Western churches. In true life, I want to see more miracles. I want to see more breakthrough for the people we're praying for. This past week, about 20 of us, 15 to 20 of us, in a last-minute call to fast and pray for three days, uh, we're fasting and praying and asking God to stir in us this holy burden. One of the things I was praying for, to sum it up, is that I, was, uh, I, 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 I became discontent with my lack of contentment over worldly things, if that makes sense. I was discontent with my lack of contentment over worldly things. How easily my heart, maybe I don't act like George Bailey on the outside, but my heart feels those things. And I was discontent with how frequently I can feel that in my heart. 
easily irritated at so many things. And I want that to change. And that brings me to my main point. See, it's not just that on one side we're called to be spiritually discontent with the things that break God's heart, and on the other side we're called to be content, more content with worldly things. That's true. But it's like they're two pedals on the bike. They go together. Here's my main point. We will grow in our worldly contentment as our hearts break for what breaks God's heart. And our hearts will break more over the right things as God's Spirit strengthens us to be more content in all circumstances. See, somebody who feels like they have arrived spiritually, they have matured enough, they tend to be sourpusses, cranky, irritated at everything around them because they're blaming everything else for what's still lacking in their souls instead of going, no, I need to grow. They're pointing the finger at everything else. But the more our hearts break over what breaks God's heart, the less room there'll be in our heart to be bothered by little everyday unmet expectations. As we ache for the world that is to come in Jesus' return, we're not going to get caught up trying to make this world our home. As we long for the king of our hearts to return and to see him face to face, we're going to care less about being treated as kings here in this life. As we grieve more over the things that offend God's glory, we're going to be bothered less when other people offend our glory. There are two pedals on a bike. I want to end by showing the final clip of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. So if you don't know the movie, George Bailey leaves that house, and he basically goes out and he says, I wish I'd never been born. And God, through an angel named Clarence, gives him a glimpse into what life would be like or what the world would be like if he had not been born. And he sees what would have happened to all the people, his family, his wife Mary, and, and by the end of the movie, he's aching and he's longing to go home. He's longing to be back with Mary. And he's like, I don't care about the circumstances that, I, that, that were happening. It doesn't matter. I just want to go back. I want to go home. I want to see Mary again. Because everything was different. He lost it all and he wanted it back. And that's where we're going to pick it up. I want, you to, I want you to see the contrast from the last scene that we saw. Okay, just, just check it out and then we'll close. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleed! Zuzu pedals! Zuzu! There they are! Bird! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas!
in jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. <laughs> Mr. Bank Examiner, Howard. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, eight thousand dollars. George, I've got a little paper. I'll bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. Merry Christmas, reporters. Are... Where's Mary? Mary. Oh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Mary. 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 Have you, have you seen my wife? Mary. 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 Good job. <laughs> George! George, Mary. darling, where are you? George, darling, where are you? Oh, George, 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 over what, you know, not, you know, what he lost, his life, and wanting to go back, wanting to be home, wanting to see Mary, made him not care about everything else. Everything else, like, who cares? The, the, the town he was complaining about, loved it. Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. That drafty house he was complaining about, oh, this wonderful drafty house. That little banister, right? The little, the little thing, that knob that falls off. The kids, everything. Even going to jail. Isn't it wonderful I'm going to jail? It all paled in comparison to his desire to be home, his desire to be with Mary. And so True Life Church, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. We, we want to run towards Jesus like George Bailey was running towards Mary. To the point where we can say, it doesn't matter if I'm disrespected by other people. It doesn't matter if I, you know, every day's plans don't go the way I want them to go. It doesn't matter if I'm stuck in this job. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm stuck in this state. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I got Jesus waiting to reveal more of himself to me. I've got Jesus waiting to pour out more of his grace in my life. I've got Jesus waiting to free me from more of the pride that still lurks in my heart. I've got Jesus waiting to fill me with more joy and more peace so that I can be more content with the surrounding circumstances. I've got Jesus wanting to make my life count for his kingdom's sake and I want to keep running that race I want to run towards him like George ran towards Mary so let me pray for a few of you guys does anybody here say man I want it I want I want more contentment in my life and I want more of a holy angst in my life I want to be more burdened for the things that burden God and I want to care a whole heck of a lot less for the things that I tend to care more about. Would you guys just, who raise your hand, just stand up. Let me just bless you guys. I, you, if, you don't have to feel pressured to stand up. If you feel like you've arrived, that's cool. <laughs> Lord Jesus, these men and women and me, I'm including myself, Lord Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is real. Trusting in you means we have access to your Spirit. It's real. It can fill us both with the freedom to be content, the strength to be content, so that even when we go home, the stuff that maybe bothered us this morning don't bother us anymore. And at the same time, your Spirit wants to break our hearts for what break your heart. Oh, Lord, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. 
May we use our money, our time, our prayers, investing in the things that break your heart and let the other things just pale in comparison. We believe you want to answer this prayer, Jesus. We pray it in your name, but before I close, if there's anybody here who doesn't, who's never trusted in you, who's never got down on their knees and said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my King. If that's them, Lord, I pray that they would decide to do that today. If that's you, by the way, I'm going to be down front after service. You come talk to me and tell me there's a difference between believing the right things about Jesus and giving him your life, being born again. Believing the right things about Jesus doesn't mean his life, his spirit is in you. God, I pray that for anyone in here. I pray that for the names on this tree, the family members. Oh, we're burdened for them, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to close with a song. And as we sing, let's believe the Holy Spirit's going to fill us and, and maybe even start to answer that prayer that we just prayed. We're going to sing, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant.